Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for not parent expected or non-paternal event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. Welcome to episode 30, where today I am talking to Martin. Hi, Martin. Hi, Lily. How are you? Good. Thank you for doing this today. Thank you so much for having this platform. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's for us. And this is a safe space. And today we're going to hear your stories. So whenever you're ready, why don't you go ahead and and start from the beginning and let us know a little bit about what your original family was like and and how you found out you were an NPE. Okay. Well, uh, I am the youngest of uh, my parents' children, my, my mom and birth father. Um, I was born um, on a military base overseas when we got to the point where I had to start doing research to kind of figure out, okay, so who is my biological father? It wasn't as difficult as it may have been for certain people because of the fact that I was born on this military base overseas. Um, When I was uh, three, we moved to Northern California um, my mother is the eldest of, uh, my mom had numerous siblings and she was the eldest and her mother passed away. And so my mom took on the responsibility of raising her youngest sisters and brothers. So I went from a nuclear family of a mom, dad, um, a sister who's 13 years older than me, a brother who's nine years older than me, and a sister who is three years older than me to a family of uncles and aunts who were close in age as well. So we moved into, there were 10 of us. Oh, wow. Yes. And in addition to that, my grandmother passed away, but my great grandmother was still alive. So um, I lived in a multi-generational household. Uh, It was a very loving family. Uh, My mother was um, uh, great. She was a great mom. Um, I always knew I was loved. Uh, She encouraged all of her children to excel at whatever um, we thought we were good at. Um, I still use some of her life lessons in, raise, in rearing my own children. Um, one of the things that I, I, I remember struggling um, with math when I was in high school, and she would say to me, um, is this the best you can do? And I was like, yeah. She said, then that's all we need to worry about. She said, I just always need you to do your best. And so I always tried to do my best. When I was 10, uh, my parents divorced. Uh, it was a very contentious marriage throughout my lifetime. I I did not think that they loved each other. Um, I was convinced that they didn't love each other when I was growing up. Um, and I often wondered how they ended up together because they were very, very different people. Uh, my dad um, was, um, he dropped out of high school. Uh, and joined the military when he was 16 or 17. Um, And he always kind of regretted that. So education was always at the forefront of of his mind and what he wanted for his children. So 
Um, he was very strict when it came to school. School was everything. So I learned young, don't ask him for help <laughs> because he had, he had this way. He, he could not relax when it came to school. There were always these very, very high expectations. And so I would never ask him for assistance. Um, and I, to be honest, as I talk about this, I don't think I liked him much uh, when he and my mom were married. Um, one of my earliest memories was understanding what a mistress was because he had one um, and she was bodacious and that she would pull up to our house across the street from our house and I could watch him get in the car and leave with her. Mm. And uh, that went on until I was 10. And when I was 10, my mother had had enough. And so um, she got a divorce and my life got much better. Not that it was horrible because I was still in a loving home. Um, I still had everything that I needed. Um, I had siblings who um, who took care of me because I was the youngest. Um, and when I say siblings, I mean those uncles and aunts as well as my uh, birth siblings. Um, so it was a it was a really loving household. Um, but life got a lot better when they split up. By that time, some of the older ones were gone from the home. There were only like four or five of us at home. And for most people, they think, oh, that's a lot of kids. But for us, that was great <laughs> to only have four or five kids in the home. Hmm. Um, and uh, my mom was much more relaxed. I began to like my dad because uh, he would come and pick me up for the weekends and uh, every other weekend I spent at his house and we spent quality time together. Um, we would go places and we would do things. And so um, it, it grew into a, a, a great relationship. When my dad took me to college and one of the things that he told me is that you are here to learn, not to teach. So stay focused, keep your mouth shut and ask questions when needed. <laughs> so, um, so I was, I, I was living out part of his dream as well. Um, one of the things that I didn't mention is that all while I was growing up, he was always in school. So by the time I graduated from, uh, high school, he had received an associate of arts degree, a bachelor of arts degree. Um, and he had also received a real estate license. So education was always something that he, um, he pushed and subsequently, all four of his biological children, well, me not being biological, but all four of his children um, graduated from college. A couple of, uh, of us have um, master's degrees as well. And that was because, largely because of what he instilled in us. Um, not to say that my mother um, didn't believe it was important, but he believed it was the most important. And so- mm -hmm she stepped back and let him do that. And one of the things I have to say for them is while their marriage may have been tumultuous, they parented well together after they split up. Um, nice. No decisions were made about what was going to happen to me and my sister um, without both of them making, without both of them being involved. By the time they divorced, my oldest sister had already graduated from undergraduate school and my brother had all, my older brother had already graduated from high school and was in college. So there were only two that he was financially responsible for. 
Um, and no decisions were made about anything with us without both of them consulting one another. So they parented really well together. And as a matter of fact, a lot of times people didn't know that my parents were divorced because um, every holiday he was at our house, um, his mail, his mailing address never changed. He would come by our house twice a week to pick up mail. Um, so it was just one of those. My mom's siblings uh, and all of my cousins on my mom's side of the family loved him immensely. Um, so it, it just was, they worked better together, not being married. They worked better together, not being married. So towards the end of his life, um, he was diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And my siblings and I had had this meeting at our mother's house and we were trying to figure out what we were going to do. And we were all working, um, families. And so we made the decision that we would probably put him in a nursing home. And my mother, in her very quiet way, came out of the back and said, um, you know, I know your father better than any of you. And that is going to kill him faster than the cancer. She said, so I will take care of him. And my brother, I remember my brother looking at her, he said, I just want to remind you, you guys are divorced. Hmm. Wow. And she said, I know that we're divorced. She says, but um, he's your father. He's my grand, he's my grandchildren's grandfather. He's a friend. And I, and my mother's a retired, was a retired nurse. She said, so I'll take care of him. So she subsequently took care of him till the end of his life. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, and that was about a year, about a year That's and a half. Amazing. So, yeah. She took care of him till the end of his life. So they had a, a, a great relationship in that way. Um, in 20, so 2016, my mother passed away. Um, and I was, I always say that I was the poster child for a mama's boy, that if you looked in the dictionary under mama's boy, there would be a big picture of me smiling, sitting on my mm -hmm. mother's lap as a grown man. <laughs> <laughs> because I was the poster child for um a mama's boy. And, um, her death hit me hard. Um, and, uh, but I was blessed to be able to be there throughout the process. She had, uh, cancer as well. And I be, I believe it began to metastasize and move to other parts of her body. Um, and so, um, I happened to be the only one of her children in the room with her when she passed away. And, um, I take that as a, um, I take that as a gift that I was allowed to be able to be there. Had you mentioned to me when I was younger, um, my mother dying, I probably would have said I would have fell off. I would have fallen apart. Um, I would have had no direction, but it was complete, the complete opposite. Um, my sister and I, the sister next to me, we planned all of the services, um, I wrote the obituary. I did the eulogy. Um, I did all of those things because I know it's what she wanted me to do. When she first got sick, um, I moved to another part of California. And so I had to fly to see her. And when she first got sick, I flew there. And of course, I fell apart um, when I walked in the room and saw her in the bed and knew what was going on. And she looked at me and smiled. And she said, I'm not gone yet. 
And so it kind of helped me to to get it together. And so I was just uh, the day I was there only for the weekend initially. And I was a mess when I was getting ready to leave. And um, so I was uh, in her room just sitting and she was asleep. And everybody kept saying, you need to go talk to your mother before you leave. My siblings and cousins and everyone that were there. And so I went in the room and she was asleep and she turned over and she looked at me and she said, what are you doing? And I said, oh, I'm just sitting here looking at this old lady sleep. And we both kind of laughed. And I said, no, I said, mom, everybody says that we need to talk. And she says, about what? I said, I don't know. They said, we need to talk. And she said, well, let me just tell you this. I loved you before I knew who you were. And that love that I have for you will never die. And because I'm no longer here physically, it doesn't mean that I'm not here for you. She said, if you ever need me, all you have to do is close your eyes and think of all the good thoughts and all of the things that I taught you and know that I'm here for you and I'll always be here for you. And so, um, of course, that I cried and she cried and then we laughed and then I was OK. And I think that that is what helped me to be able to um, plan her service, do all of the things that I did and move forward um, because I felt like there was nothing left that we hadn't talked about. Little did I know there was plenty <laughs> that we hadn't talked about. But um, so uh, she died in uh, Feb- January, February of the year. Um, and I've always been um, the family historian. I had researched uh, both sides of my family uh, for generations. Um, I uh, was already a member of Ancestry.com for years, so I had had access to census records and all of that kind of thing. So um, after she passed, though, I was longing for her, and I thought it might be a a way to connect with her, uh, sort of, by sort of researching her family. And so I decided to take the Ancestry uh, DNA test. And I remember prior to taking the test, having a conversation with one of my paternal cousins. Um, and so, um, and when I say paternal, my, my um, birth certificate, dad's brother's son. Mm-hmm. And we had a conversation and he had taken a test. And I said, oh, um, I look forward to uh, seeing you, um, seeing your results when mine come in. And he said, yeah. And he said, by the way, my dad also took the test. And I said, oh, okay. So his dad is my father's brother. So I was looking forward to seeing um, my uncle and my cousin. And six weeks later, my results came in and I was excited and I was at work. And I looked at the results and I saw my ethnicity break down. Um, I wasn't surprised by that as well. Um, And uh, well, I was a little surprised. My um, my my maternal great grandmother, the one that I grew up with, always told us that her father was Italian um, and her mother was a a descendant of a of, of a slave. So. I always thought there was this part Italian uh, mix. And if you look at her, she's very fair skinned. So we knew that there was some mixture of some sort. Um, But I saw no Italian. I saw um, 
uh, was, was 12 to 13% um, English, Scottish. Uh, I was Irish. I was, uh, largest portion was from Cameroon in Africa and um, Nigeria. So I wasn't surprised by any of the results um, because they say most African-Americans are about 20% um, European. So, and I came out to be exactly that. So I wasn't surprised, but what surprised me was that, um, I did not match to my father's brother and my cousin. So when I saw the results and I had a little background on DNA, so I knew sort of what this meant. So the first thing I did was I contacted my cousin and I said, Hey, um, which service did you use? Did you use Ancestry? Did you use 23andMe? And he uh, contacted me back and he said, oh, no, I used Ancestry. So I closed my results for three days and decided I just kind of couldn't, wouldn't kind of deal with it. And then I decided I got to deal with it. So um, I called my older siblings and I said, I have a couple of questions for you. Was there anything going on with mom and dad around the time I was born? And my sister, who's the eldest, said, oh, not that I can recall. But my brother was a little more forthright. And he said, I don't remember exactly. He's nine years older than me. She's 13 years older than me. He said, I don't remember exactly. He said, what I do remember is you weren't born yet. And there was a time that mom and dad weren't getting along. And he said to the point that um, dad ended up leaving us on the base. And I questioned, how could he leave us on the base? He was sent um, temporary duty to another military base. And while he was there, um, he was gone for three or four months. Um, And they had a big argument, a big blow up before he left. and while he was gone, he took the car. He had the car shipped with him and he was not sending money home. So my mother was in a foreign country with three children um, trying to figure out how to take care of them. And my my sister finally said, oh, she remembered that. And, and I said to both of them, why do you think mom didn't report anything to his superiors? And they said that could have been immediate court martial. So that wasn't something that she did. So we, they were on the military base by themselves. Mom was trying to figure out how to, and I'm piecing this together because of course my mother is gone and so is my dad. So I couldn't have a conversation with either one of them, but I'm piecing it together based on the information that my siblings told me. So she began a relationship with someone else. And both of my siblings told me they remember there was a night that she went out with her friends. And my mom was not a drinker and she came home tipsy and she came home with a guy and she told them that he was a friend of hers and that he was going to help them and they were no longer going to suffer. And my brother said he can recall that uh, they were suffering. They didn't have a lot of food. Uh, Money was tight. Um, He said it was a they were really suffering. So and he said things changed around when this person came into their life. Um, So um, fast forward a few months, my dad 
uh, came back and he and my mom decided to work it out and they stayed together. So somewhere in between there, I was conceived. Um, and what I know about my mom is if my mom didn't want something to be true, it wasn't true. <laughs> Just it, her way of looking at the world. If this is what she wanted, she would will it to not be. And so what I believe is that my mother made the decision that um, my biological father wasn't my biological father. She made the decision that my dad was going to be my dad, my father. And that's how it played out. So um, I don't have a lot of regrets uh, about my mom. The only regret I have is that I wish she would have said something to me. Um, But I also understand my mom. And so my wife told me, she says, I don't believe your mom ever believed that this information was going to come out. And that's why she went to her grave, not telling you because she didn't believe it would do anything for you. It would change your life. It would enhance your life. So um, I've gone back and forth with my siblings about, do you think dad knew? Did mom and dad have like this pack? because he had left and he had treated her so bad and he just decided to come back and take care of her child and this, that, and the other. And um, my brother told me, cause I told him my dad was 34, 35 when I was born. And I said, I don't, I said, I didn't know the 35 year old man. So um, I don't know at 35, maybe he would have done that. And my brother said, I knew him and you're out your mind if you think he would have raised another man's child at 35, knowing that that child wasn't his. He said, what I knew about him is that he was a chauvinist. He was sexist and he felt like he can do what he wanted to do. But he it would have been the ultimate blow for him to raise another man's child. So he would have never raised you if he didn't believe you were his So I go through my life and I take this test. And what threw me is that there were a lot of, so uh, I forgot to mention the fact that when I mentioned it to my siblings, my brother said, well, there's a way to fix this. He looks just like my dad. I don't look anything like him, of course. So my brother takes the test as well. And he comes back as a match to all of my dad's family, to my uncle, to the cousin, to all of those people. And I don't share any DNA with all those people. So that was our confirmation that my dad wasn't my biological father. So um, then I then start looking at my matches through Ancestry. And once my brother took the test, I was able to kind of develop a, a system and I would go in and make notes. And so I knew that if somebody matched to my brother, they were on my maternal side of the family. And if somebody did not match to my brother, then they were on my paternal side of the family and I could begin trying to figure out. And at first I didn't have a lot of close matches um, to my paternal side of the family. There were a lot of people who were from um, South Carolina and neither one of my parents were from South Carolina. Um, so I was like, okay, Um, And there were a lot of people who shared the same last name. So I realized, okay, so it must be these people from this part of this country. Um, 
And so a second cousin popped up and it wasn't a match to my brother. So I sent her a message and it was a very kind of generic message. Hi, I'm, uh, it looks like we're connected uh, through DNA. I, I'm not aware of who you are. I'm just trying to connect with all my family. Here's my name. Please reach out to me. I didn't hear from her. And so I waited another couple of months and sent another message, very similar, still no response. And in the interim, I'm looking to see if there are going to be any other relatives that show up that are closer and they're not. And by now, I'm sure you can relate. By now, my head is spinning Mm -hmm. and I'm trying to figure out, okay, how does this work? Am I going to ever find who this person is or will I live my life not ever knowing who my biological father is? And so um, finally, after I finally sent a message and I said, here's what happened. I took the test. I found out that the person that raised me and loved me and cared for me my entire life was not my biological father. Um, It looks like my biological father is probably your first cousin because you're my second cousin. I said, here's my name. Here's my phone number. Here's my address. Here's my email address. Um, If you can find anybody that can use this information or please pass it on, pass this on to them. And I didn't hear from her for months. And I remember having a conversation with my oldest sister. Uh, We talk every day. And I remember having a conversation with her and saying, I don't know if I'm going to find who these people are. And she said, you're going to have to be okay with maybe never knowing. And I told her I can't be. So in between this, I went to therapy, had a conversation with a therapist, and it was very helpful because um, I'm a Christian. And one of the things that she pointed out to me is that she was a Christian. And I didn't know this initially when I went to meet with her. And one of the things she said to me was, if you're Christian, you believe that and you believe in God, you believe that your life is planned out before you're here. Um, He lays a road for you. So the path that you're on is the path that you're supposed to be on. So whether you find them or whether you don't, you have to know that this is part of the larger plan. She said, but I believe that you will find him. And and that was comforting. uh, my sister's telling me she didn't think I would. And then I get a call two days after my sister told me that. And it was from that second cousin and it was from a blocked number. And she said, it looks like we are matches on ancestry DNA. And she said, through which line? And I said, Oh, hi. And so she said, I read your messages and I, I'm just, um, I don't really want to get involved. I said, oh, okay. She said, so, um, she said, are you, uh, uh, she says, uh, were you born, um, overseas? And I said, yes. And she said, okay. She said, cause I had a cousin and she gave me his nickname and she said he was born. I mean, that he was in the military and he was stationed in the same country that I was born in around the same time that I was born. Um, and so she believes that that would be my father. And I said, oh. And then she told me she didn't know his real name. And I said, you don't know your cousin's real name? 
<laughs> and she said, no, he, he was much older than me. Um, and I only met him a couple of times and I only knew his nickname. And she said, and I think her quote, well, the quote was, I believe he's gone to glory, which, mean, which means he's died. I said, oh, okay. And so she said, I don't know if I want to you to call me. I said, I didn't ask you for your number. Mm-hmm. I said, you called me from a block number. I didn't ask you for anything. You called me. And she said, yeah, I don't know if I'll call you back. I said, that's a decision that you have to make. Um, and I said, thank you for the information that you provided me. And that was the end of that conversation. So she had put her um, family tree on ancestry. So I start looking, I had already been going through her family tree. And so, um, comes to find out her, come to find out her mom and my biological father, father. So my grandfather were siblings, but there were a lot of siblings. So, um, I'm specifically looking at the person who she said was my grandfather and I'm looking at his tree and it lists a bunch of children, but they're alive. And so it's his private. So I don't have any information. So about a week and a half later, um, I remember I was sitting in the car repair shop Saturday morning, waiting for my car to get fixed. And I see, um, I decide to look at ancestry again and look at her tree. And now she's added some names and she's added the name of my biological father, his real name. Hmm. And she's put a link to his obituary. So I look at his obituary. And the first thing that strikes me is I look a lot like my mom. Uh, People always say that, you know, when my wife first met my mom, I went to pick her up at the airport and my wife was with me. And I was like, I can't find my mom. Where is she? And she said, there she is. The lady standing over there. It looks like you with a wig on. (laughs) So, (laughs) so I, I look a lot like my mom. Um, but when I saw this picture of him in his obituary, I gasped because I look like him as well. And it was kind of like, oh, I think this is him. So I read the obituary and uh, it matched the information. He was in the military, stationed overseas, um, was born in South Carolina, all of these things. So I was like, yeah, I think this is him. And in the obituary, it mentioned that he had uh, two children. So I, I wrestled with would I contact them because I, I, my initial goal was just to find out who he was. Um, I didn't want to disrupt anybody's life. Um, but then I had a conversation with one of my cousins who I'm very close to. And what she pointed out to me is a couple of things. She said, this is your life and you have a right to this information. And she said, and the second thing is, I know you, you're not a person that leaves stones unturned. She said, so you will contact them. It's just a matter of when. Hmm. So that night (laughs) I started looking and I ended up finding my sister-in-law on a uh, social media site. Um, and so I sent her, cause it mentioned the brother's wives too. I couldn't find either one of my brothers, but I found 
one of my brother's wives. So I sent her a message and I said, uh, if you are the person that is married to this person, here's my name, here's my phone number. I believe we may be belated. And I put my phone on the charger and let it sit. It was about eight or nine o'clock at night. I live on the West Coast. Um, I checked my, my phone about 11 and I had three missed calls from the East Coast. And so uh, I text back and I said, I'm in California. Um, can I give you a call tomorrow? Um, and we can talk more about this. And uh, when I had a sleepless night, when I awakened, um, I checked my messages. And the first thing I saw was the message from uh, who turned out to be my brother. And it said, that would be fine. Um, may I ask who you are? So I called him. And uh, the first thing he says is, how can I help you? <laughs> and I said, well, let me ask you a couple of questions before we get started. I said, was your father so-and-so? Um, was this his nickname? He said, my dad had a lot of nicknames. I said, was he in the military? Yes, he was. Was he ever stationed over here overseas? He said he was, but not in the country that I was born in. I said, okay. I said, do you know that sometimes when people are in the military, they, especially in this particular area, they may travel to another country. And he said, yeah, but I don't think my dad did. And he said, I have all his military records. So the beginning of the conversation was a little combative, but I wasn't mm -hmm. upset because if somebody calls me out of the blue and tells me, I think you may be my brother, I might be. So anyway, I tell him, I said, well, I'm calling you because I think that um, he may be my father as well. And he said, and what would lead you to believe that? So I begin to tell him my information. And then um, there's a series of sort of rapid fire questions that are repeated. Um, and he's asking me these questions again. So you said your mother was in the military? I said, no, I never said that. I said, my dad was in the military. What's your dad's name? I tell him my dad's name. And I can tell he's writing now. Where was he born? I tell him where he was born. I mean, I'm, I'm forthright with all of my information. Um, and um, at the end of the conversation, it, it mellows a little bit. And he says, how do you feel about the possibility of having additional siblings? And I told him... <laughs> If that's what life says, then that's what it is. <laughs> I mean, I said, uh, he said, I said, so I see that there's a brother. He said, there's also a sister. I said, oh, I didn't see her name in obituary. And he said, there's a long story behind that. Um, he said, I did not find out about her till after my dad died. Okay. I said, what, what happened? He said, she's the oldest. She was born in his youth. Um, and uh, I didn't know about her. I said, okay. He said, but I know her now. And, you know, I said, okay. And then he, and then he asked another question. He said, do you believe that he is your father? I said, I do. I said, let me ask you a question. Do you? And he said, eh, it seems like the evidence is beginning to lead me to that as well. I said, okay. He said, I'll talk to you in a few days. Um, he said, I have to go through my dad's military records and um, I'll be back in touch. And I said, OK. So I got a text from him a couple of days later, just checking in. And it was cordial. And and I got a text maybe the next 
two days after that, and it was cordial as well. And then the next day, I'm picking up my children from school, and he calls, and I pick up the phone as I'm walking into their school, and he says, hey, you got a minute? And I was like, actually, I don't. I said, I'm about to pick up my kids. I said, what's going on? He said, well, I got news for you. He said, um, I said, I can take a minute. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, he said, it looks like we're brothers. I said, oh, okay. Um, I said, okay. Uh, Okay. (laughs) I just kept saying, okay. I said, um, can I call you tonight and we can talk? And he said, actually, tonight's not a good night. Can I call you tomorrow and we'll talk? And so I said, that, that'll be great. And so I picked up my kids and I was kind of numb um, because it's like it, from the time that I originally found out to this, to the time that I, from the time I took the test to this time, it's, it's a, a period of nine months. And um, I'm like, okay, it's, it's full circle. Like it's here. It, this is who he is. And so the next day we talked and had a great conversation and he's telling me all about the family. He's telling me about our brother. Um, and the, the irony is that our brother is five years older than me. Uh, our, my biological father was, was, was in the country where I was born. Um, and my brother was born there as well. And my brother, uh, my brother, he was married to my brother's um, mother at the time of my conception. They divorced soon after my birth and they came back stateside. And my brother was raised about two and a half hours from where I grew up. So we were raised very near each other. So there are four children from my biological father um, and, and we all have different mothers. Um, and so, uh, he and my brother and I began to build a great relationship. We talked regularly. Um, and finally I said, what about this other brother of ours? He said, well, he can be kind of strange <laughs> sometimes. He said, I don't know about how he will react to things. He said, but I'm going to put you in touch with them. And so, um, my other brother called me, um, a few, about an hour after I had that conversation with him. And he says, uh, so I hear you're my brother. I said, that's what it looks like. And so we had a a great conversation. Um, And at the end of the conversation, he said, okay, I love you, little brother. And I didn't know what to say. I was like, okay, do I say, what do I say? (laughs) It's like, because I just met him over the phone. We've never seen each other. Yes. So what do I say? So I said, love you too, big bro. And so then the next day I talked to my sister and it, it just, I, I, you know, I feel very blessed because I have a great relationship with all of them, um, mm-hmm. with all. So now I, I grew up, I have, I have six siblings now, six biological siblings. I grew up knowing that I had three and then I had the uncles and aunts, but now I have six biological siblings. And I can say that I have great relationships with all of them in. Um, so I found out 
probably in about March. It was, yeah, it was March, um, about three years ago, um, is when I first connected with my siblings. Um, and I decided to fly to the East Coast to meet them, to meet the two that I had met. So the week before I did, two weeks before I did that, I went up to visit my siblings that I grew up with and I had lunch with my brother. And that was great. It was a really strange feeling. And I had lots of feelings of kind of guilt. Um, And I don't know, I had feelings of guilt because I felt like I was betraying my dad who raised me Um, because he was a great, he was a great dad. He was the best dad he could be. Um, And I felt like I was somehow betraying him by forming these relationships with other people. Um, But what helped me is after leaving my brother, um, I decided to stop and visit my father's grave. Um, Because ironically, it was on the way back from where my brother lives. So I stopped and I had a great conversation with my dad and I thanked him for being my dad. I told him I appreciate the fact of how he raised me. And I thank God that he allowed him to be my father, to be my dad, because I know that um, a father is a person who gets you here, but a dad is a person who raises you. And I told him I appreciated everything he did for me as a dad and that he would always be in my heart. And so that helped me uh, tremendously. And then two weeks after that, I flew to the East Coast. I decided I was going to go meet my siblings and everything sort of fell into place. I found the one of the cheapest tickets you can find to the East Coast. And it wasn't on a horrible airline or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I told my brother I was coming and he was gracious and welcoming and picked me up at the airport. Um, I stayed in a hotel uh, and we laughed at it now because he told me, his wife told him, I know that's your brother, but I don't know him from a can of paint, so he can't stay here. <laughs> and my wife said to me, you're staying in a hotel because you don't know them from a can of paint. <laughs> <It's> so, <laughs> so I flew to the East Coast uh, by myself. Um, I thought it was important that I do this by myself. And, you know, my friends told me later how courageous they thought I was for going to do this and this and the other. And I told them there was courage wasn't involved. It was mainly about just trying to close the gap. And so I was fine through the whole flight until it arrived, until it arrived. And there was a text from my brothers telling me, oh, I'm going to be outside and I'm in this kind of car. And that's when I started thinking, what the hell did you just do? <laughs> you don't know these people. <laughs> You're flying halfway across the country to meet them. You don't know who they are. And they don't know you and you don't know if this is going to work and this, that, and the other. And this was in September. We had started talking in March. So we, and we talked pretty regularly from March till September. So I felt like I did somewhat know them, but I didn't know them. And my brother was a gracious host. Um, very gracious. He took me around the city. Uh, I had never been there. So he showed me, um, you know, sightseeing kind of things. Um, he took me to, uh, one of the pivotal points was he took me to visit um, my father's grave and my biological father's grave. And uh, I didn't really think it was going to be a big thing. 
And I really didn't want to go at first because I thought I don't really have a connection to him. So, you know, I'm grateful that I have these siblings now and, but I don't really need to go do this because this means nothing to me. And when I got to the cemetery, I started crying and I was very mad at myself for crying. And I have these internal conversations with Martin, the college educated um, father, professional, and Marty, the little boy. And uh, Marty, oh, Marty, Marty protects Martin. <laughs> this is how I always say it. Marty comes in and tells Martin, no, that doesn't matter. They're stupid. Or, you know, things that little kids do. And mm-hmm. so I was standing at his grave and I was crying. And my younger brother was standing um, next to me and he's just looking at me and he comes and puts his hand on my shoulder and he said, you're okay, man. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'm okay. And Marty tells, stop all that crying. Stop all that crying. You don't know him. Stop all that crying. So I stopped all the crying and I kind of got it together. But what I, what it, when I was able to reflect on the flight back home after spending time with him and my sister also lives near there. So I spent time at my sister's house um, and my sister has three children. My sister has grandchildren. My sister has a great grandchild. So I I have adult nephews. Um, I have great nephews and nieces. um, And I made connections with all these people. Um, um, But when I was in the, on the flight back home, I was able to reflect and I sent my siblings Um, a text, um, the siblings that I grew up with and thanking them for their support through this journey, telling them that um, I came full circle and I finally realized why I was crying because the the tears represent that I had completed the journey, that I had figured out who they were and I was finding a way to put it all into perspective. So the perspective that I have now is that I had a dad and I have a father. And it took my mom, my father, and my dad to make me who I am. Hmm. And I'm okay with all of that. I'm okay with the journey. I'm okay with, there's some questions I still have that I'll probably never get answered. I don't know what the nature of my mother's relationship was with my biological father. I don't know if they were, how long they were together. Um, I don't know for sure if he ever knew. And I really believe he didn't know. Um, Part of me wonders, did my mom know? Um, But there are some questions that I can never get answered. And so I have to be okay with that. So the gift in all of this, and this is one of the things that the therapist told me, because I went back to the therapist after I came back. And one of the things she said to me was, um, you have the gift of reconciliation. You reconciled your family. Because my siblings on my biological father's side of the family, they sort of weren't um, in constant connection with each other. They were kind of not speaking to each other. And so we are all talking now. And, you know, the therapist pointed out to me that she thinks that that's part of my journey. That's what I that's why I found out when I found out. And that's what I was supposed to do. So it wasn't so much about having the conversation with my mom and my dad and my biological father, but it was about having these connections with these siblings to enhance Mm. my life and to enhance their life. And so 
I take that as the gift. Do I wish that I would have been able to meet my biological father? I do. Um, am I, I, the things that I'm grateful for, as I reflect, I'm grateful that I never had to have the conversation with my dad um, because I think that he would have been heartbroken for the person that he, I knew him to be as he was older. I think that he would have been heartbroken and I wouldn't want to be responsible for breaking his heart. So um, my mother would have been um, embarrassed. My mother would have been, um, it would have upset her. She would have been embarrassed and I wouldn't want to do that either. Um, do I wish she would have said something to me? Yes. Did she? No. So I have to be with okay with this whole journey. So um, my annual trip every year is to the East Coast. Uh, the first year I went, so I found out in 2017, I went by myself in 2017. In 2018, I took my wife and children. Um, and in 2019, my wife couldn't go, but my children and I went. And I just had a conversation with my sister the other day. And she's like, you guys are coming this summer, correct? So it's part of what we do now. It's part of how I'm connected now. So that's yeah. my journey. That's my journey. Wow, Martin, thank you so much for sharing that today. Thank you for uh, providing me the opportunity to be able to do that. One of the things, one of the reasons I, I wanted to do it is I wrestled with this. I listened, I've listened to all of the, the stories and I wrestled with being able to um, tell my story. And I didn't want to in the beginning because I didn't want to embarrass anybody. I didn't want to upset anybody. Um, but what I thought about was this is my journey. And so, it, you know, we're always told to be gracious and to think of others, but sometimes we have to think of ourselves. Um, and so this is one of those times that I had to think of myself. And two, um, I thought that, you know, everything that happens to you doesn't happen to you. Sometimes you are to be a vessel to help somebody else. And so I thought by sharing my story, I might be able to help somebody who is struggling with, should they do this? How do they move forward? What to do to let people know that, you know, sometimes there's light at the end of the tunnel and there are some great stories through this process. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to do it. Thank you for, for providing this form for people to be able to, for those of us who've experienced this, to be able to share. Thank you. Thanks again to Martin for sharing today. These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE that would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us.